Amen. Praise the Lord. Y'all sound good this morning. It's almost like y'all have been to church before and sang once in a while. Well, it's good to be in church today. God bless you. Thank you for standing, and, and you can be seated. And we're picking up our lesson that we started uh, two weeks ago on tithes and offerings. Everyone said tithes and offerings. Tithes and offerings. And uh, look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, I know we're talking about tithes, but we don't have to get tense. It's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. I, uh, I saw this the other day, on, and uh, someone created an acronym, and, uh, and I liked it. It said debt. It said debt, doing everything but tithing. And uh, that struck me as, as, as funny. Now, my children have been telling me, Daddy, you don't tell enough jokes like Grandpa does when you preach and teach. <laughs> Evidently, I'm very serious. And uh, I guess I get that from, from my mother, their grandmother. And so uh, I'm, I'm making an effort. I'm just going to warn you. The reason I don't tell many jokes when I uh, teach and preach is because... I'm not very funny. And the jokes that I find or um, put together, uh, I, I, in my early ministry, I had so many awkward laughs. You know when people laugh and you can just tell it's a mercy laugh? I, I used to tell a joke or something at the beginning of a message just to break the ice. That's what they tell you to do, you know, in speech class. Anybody remember dreaded speech class? They always tell you, you know, break the ice with a joke. Just break the ice. And, uh, and so I always tried that. And there'd always be that one kind-hearted person that would just, they didn't think it was funny, but they would just really try to make you feel good about it. And they'd laugh with you. And so I, I quit doing it. I just gave up, I guess. But um, I, I did read an interesting story. But I need you to promise me in advance that you'll give me a mercy laugh. And, uh, and just be convincing uh, for my kids' sake because they, they want me to tell more jokes. So uh, I was reading a story. And see, you can tell I'm, I'm already not funny. But I, I was. I was reading a story <laughs> about a, an elderly man uh, who had, was a spendthrift. He was a tightwad, they used to say. And he spent uh, his entire life, every time he'd get a paycheck, he would cash his check and he would take $20 from that check and he'd stick it underneath his mattress. And he did that his entire life and, and he had a lot of money underneath that bed. In fact, it got so much that he filled up under the mattress and he had to start putting it under the bed and, and uh, he had quite a bit of money saved up under there and he was dying. And he looked at his wife in his final moments, and he said, Sweetheart, I need you to promise me something. Y'all getting your fake laugh ready? He said, I need you to promise me something. He said, When I die, I want you to take all of this money, and I want you to put it in my casket and bury it with me. And she said, Okay, I'll do that, sweetheart. And so when the day came, and, 
and uh, it was time to close the casket. She wrote a check, put it in the casket, and took all the money and put it in the bank. That was good. That was good. I'm almost convinced. I'm almost convinced. (laughs) But the point of that story, I don't know if that's a true story. It's probably not. It's probably an old wives' tale. But the point of that story is you can't take it with you when you go. Amen? You can't take it with you when you go. Uh, T.S. Eliot, the great evangelical missionary, he said, He is no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jesus said, you know, don't store up your treasure in this world where rust and moths and all of the elements will corrode it, but store up your treasure where? In heaven. In heaven. And so uh, we do that. That's the Christian mindset, that we're not storing up uh, for this world, that we're storing up our treasures in heaven because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And so one of the great principles of giving, whether it's tithes or offerings, is that it reveals where our heart is. What we give to reveals what we love. What we give to reveals what we care about. I did a quick search late last night, just more out of curiosity than anything, and uh, because I knew I was going to be talking about this this morning, and I, I just typed in Google, I typed in, what do Americans spend their money on? What do Americans spend their money on? Because that scripture was ringing in my head that where your, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And so you can tell a lot about a culture. You can tell a lot about people based on uh, where, what they spend their money on. What you spend your money on does not lie. And uh, it was all the usual things that you would expect. Americans spend about 33% to 40% on their housing, on their homes. Uh, they spend about 18% of their income on transportation. That, uh, that goes way beyond gas. A very small portion of that is gas and maintenance. It's their cars. In other words... Most Americans are mortgaged to the hilt when it comes to their houses and to their cars. So they're just buried in debt underneath the weight of their houses and their cars. You know, a lot of people will, um, will have two or three cars and have uh, very high debt on those things. And they spend a lifetime paying that off and they can't afford to do much else. But then what struck me more than anything was out of all of those percentages, if you take all, all Americans and you average it out, they spend about 1% giving to the church. If you average all Americans out, the average American gives about 1%. Now, of course, that's an average. So some people give a lot more than that. Some people don't give any at all. So it averages out to about 1%. That's a very small percentage. And it tells a lot about how far we've drifted from godly things in America, doesn't it? And what struck me about that, several things were uh, leaped out at me when I was reading those statistics. And I know we glaze over when we talk statistics. But uh, if you add up what Americans spend on movies, going to the theater, going to restaurants, uh, on tobacco, on alcohol and on sporting activities, Americans spend very nearly 20% of their income on those things. Very nearly 20%. And you put that piece of the pie, you know what I'm talking about, those pie charts, 
You take that piece of the pie and you put it next to what we give to religious things. And I'm not talking about us. I know that we're the exception in this room. But it tells us that our treasure is not with God. That's what it tells us. It's very startling. And, And... you wouldn't think that would be the case because if you, if you were to listen to the pundits, if you were to listen to the critics of the church, if you were to listen to the critics of religion and people who would like to do away with religious institutions and things of that nature, you would think that the church is, I mean, just wealthy, 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 and that uh, Americans are just uh, just giving to the church, and the church has more money than they know what to do with. In reality, uh, people are putting more money into the lotteries than they are into the church. That ought to be startling, shouldn't it? That ought to startle us. And so it isn't that we don't have income. It isn't that we, uh, that we don't necessarily have it to give to God. It's that we don't, and when I say us, I don't mean us in this room, but I mean as a culture. It's not that we don't have it. It's just that we don't prioritize God. And, uh, and, and also, let me just say this for the record, and I'm glad I told a joke, so maybe we're loose a little bit. Smile real big. Look at your neighbor and smile. I know people, I don't know, I don't know any rich pastors. Uh, and, you know, I know the television evangelists give preachers a bad name. Uh, and, and some of those guys have their jets and all those things, and, and, and we're often critical of those things. And uh, I, I don't believe in, in fleecing. I don't believe in, in uh, I don't believe that anyone should ever go into the ministry seeking to get rich or wealthy. That's not a proper motivation to get into the ministry. And and my experience is that most godly men give sacrificially themselves, and uh, and that uh, many godly men are are. Uh, good stewards of, of God's finances. And in fact, most of them are struggling to get by themselves. And, and yet, even at that, I find that many even Christians are incredibly critical if a minister is even just comfortable, even if they're just making it, they're critical of it. And yet, that wouldn't bother me so badly, except we have people like Tom Cruise who makes $33 million a movie and no one bats an eye. Now, I'm not saying preachers need to make $33 million. Don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating that at all. But what I am saying is we have our priorities messed up. Sports stars, actors, rap musicians, country music stars, they can live in $300 million homes and nobody cares. But if a preacher has a car that starts every morning, some people have a problem with it. That ought to bother us. That ought to bother us. It really should. It really should. And uh, I, I, I'm often concerned by this. You know, I, I, uh, I, I even hear, and I, I know, and, and, you know, I understand. Sometimes we give sacrificially, and it's, it's not always easy. And, and uh, I, I've, 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 I've written out my tithe check. I've given offerings when it hurt many, many, many times. And, and I know that sometimes it can be it can be stressful, it can be hard, and you're trying to trust God, and it's not always easy. And so sometimes if there's an offering taking place, and sometimes you can feel a little stressed by it, I understand that. I'm, I'm not being critical of that. But I am, I am concerned when we have a culture that thinks that the church has no right to ever ask for any kind of offering, for any kind of spiritual endeavor. And yet Kanye West can get on Twitter and ask, 
Mark Zuckerberg for $53 million, and his fans think it's great. No problem with it at all. No problem at all. In fact, they, they love him the more for it. And yet, if we ask to, for an offering to send to a missionary, there's people that become so enraged that they, not, not at this church. I'm not talking this church. This is a wonderful, godly, giving church. I'm talking about America as a whole. I'm talking about Christendom as a whole. And we need, to, we need to be very careful that we don't create a mentality where we are uh, spiteful towards spiritual things, and yet we are in love with carnal things, so much so that uh, we're, we're excited when they build a $500 million football stadium. But if someone even tries to get a new roof on a church building, we're upset. It's an issue of priorities. Can I get an Amen. It's an issue of priorities. Now, I want to do a quick review uh, and of, uh, of the Old Testament. Now, last time that we reviewed this, we were looking at tithes and offerings from the perspective of the Old Testament, and we were doing kind of a systematic uh, theological view of, of tithes and how it began its genesis in the Bible, and we're working our way into the New Testament. We won't get into the New Testament today. But I, I had so much feedback from the podcast. We put this up on the podcast, and uh, instantly it, it had about uh, 15,000 uh, uh, downloads, and we were just getting email after email, because whenever you talk about giving, it's always highly controversial. And so I wanted to just clarify a few things in our review today. And any of the scriptures that I referred to, you can go back at aptabupc.com, click on the media, listen to the download, and even the slides are there. So all of the scriptures that I used last time are, are laid out in great detail there. But I'm going to give us a quick review. Everybody put your seatbelt on. You with me? We're going to review right now. Number one, the biblical definition of the word tithe means 10%. Everyone said 10%. It's 10% of our income. And so we must return... 10% of our entire, everyone said entire, our entire income to God. Number three, tithing is a provision for the ministry. Everyone said the ministry. It was set aside for the Levites, for them specifically, for their livelihood, for their well-being. Uh, it was not set aside for the Levites to take the 10% and then use it to care for the building. Uh, it was for them. The Offerings, everyone said offerings, offerings are for church properties and operations. And so in the Old Testament, the tithe was for the ministry and offerings were for the tabernacle and for the day-to-day -day operations of the tabernacle. Now, I can just tell you, uh, and I, this is a little inside baseball here, I don't know of any churches, and I mean any, that operate that way. I don't know of any church that functions off of offerings with their building and all of the expenses of a building and, and functions that way. And in every church that I have ever been acquainted with, the operation of the church was provided for primarily out of the tithe, out of the 10%. And most of the time in a church, the offerings are very, very small compared to the tithing. Uh, that really wasn't the way God intended for it to be. The tithe was set aside for the ministry and then the offerings were to cover the operations of the day-to-day -day activities of the, the temple. So 
The tithe is a set amount. So God, when it came to the ministry, God said there's a set amount. It's 10%, no more, no less. That's what it has. That's what it is. But offerings have no cap. Everyone said none. In other words, you can give as much or as little as you'd like to give in offerings. The idea, though, is that God didn't put a, a legal parameter there. The idea was God was giving us an opportunity to be generous above and beyond. And so it wasn't really God's design for us to be stingy. It was God's design for us to just have no limit to our generosity. And so there's no legal parameter there. And, uh, and so tithes and offerings are to be given freely. Everyone said freely. And God, by the way, and we'll talk, when you get into the New Testament, you, you dig deeper into this, this concept here. But I'm just going to jump ahead and tell us this right now. God cares as much about how we give as what we give. In other words, God not only, and see, in the Old Testament, God just said give. It's a, it's a rule. It's a law. In the New Testament, God said not only must you give, but you must give cheerfully. And so God said it's a matter of the heart. It's not just a matter of being legalistic and being obedient, but, but I want you to have the right attitude when you give. So God, want, have you ever had someone give you, give you something and you could tell they just hated you for it? That doesn't feel good, does it? They, someone gives you a gift and, well, I, you know, I, I sell, sold everything I own so I could give you this loaf of bread, you know. That doesn't make you feel good. You want to give it back to it. God doesn't want us to come and, and give our, our offerings with a, with a hateful spirit. God wants us to give out of gratitude. Everyone said gratitude and faith and concern for spiritual things. So when we give of our tithes and offerings, it's an expression of our concern for spiritual things. In other words, you're telling the world, you're telling God, but you're also testifying to the world that you care about spiritual things. You know, whenever someone buys a jersey, uh, where, where I grew up, it was the Chicago Bears and the Chicago Bulls. The Bulls won. Uh, they, Michael Jordan was king at the time, and they were winning everything. We, all we did was win. And, uh, and you were proud to be from Chicago growing up. And, and, uh, and, I mean, there was Chicago Bull fever everywhere. And people would go. And they would buy the, the Michael Jordan jersey with the number 23 on the back, and they'd spend $275 for those things. And they'd get the Air Jordan tennis shoes. I wanted them so bad. My parents said, no, 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 no. But I wanted Air Jordan tennis shoes, but they were $370. And people would buy them. One of my friends had three pairs of them in three different colors, and he wouldn't even wear them. He just put them on a shelf and looked at them. You know what they were doing? They were expressing. They were expressing their concern for their team. They were supporting. It was an expression of support. It was a. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna put my money where my mouth is. I'm gonna. I'm gonna support this not only with my energy. I'm. I'm gonna support this not only with my enthusiasm, but I'm gonna support it with my money. And uh, and there were people when they decided to build a new stadium. They they came and said, "Listen, we're gonna." Uh, if we're going to build this stadium, we're gonna, the city's going to subsidize it. It's going to bring a lot of jobs. It brings a lot of tourism. It does a lot of good for the city. And so uh, if we're going to do this thing, we're going to have to raise your taxes 11%. 
And they gave the people a chance. They said, listen, you can vote on this. If you want a new stadium, come in here and you can vote and say, yeah, go ahead, raise my taxes 11%. And, uh, and, uh, and if they said no, you just wouldn't get a new stadium. People overwhelmingly voted, yeah, go ahead, raise my taxes 11% so we can get a new stadium. You know what they were doing? They were saying, I'm concerned about this thing. I care about this thing. Listen. If we can do that about sporting activities, certainly when it comes to the kingdom of God, where eternal souls hang in the balance, there ought to be something that says, yes, 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 I care, I care. And I do it as an expression of gratitude and faith. Abraham and Jacob, number seven, were the first recorded. Everyone said the first. Abraham, who was still Abram at the time, was the first recorded in the Bible to give tithes. He did so to Melchizedek, who was a king and a priest. They did so before the law. And by the way, if you missed uh, Pastor French's lesson on Hebrews last Wednesday night where he talked about Melchizedek, uh, you really you need to go to the podcast and listen to that because it's uh, that's not milk. That's meat. How many want to get some meat once in a while? And uh, get off the bottle every once in a while and get the meat of the word. And that that's good stuff. It's very important that he tied to Melchizedek and, uh, because they did so. Both Abraham and Jacob, and then as we'll look at in a moment, Levi tithed to Abraham. All three of them began tithing long before the law. Everyone said the law. Long before Moses, long before the Ten Commandments, long before uh, the Levitical priesthood and all of those things, they began the institution of tithing. And so tithing is a recognition that everything, everyone said everything, everything belongs to God, and we are managers of what God has already given to us. And so the Christian mindset as we talked about last time, is that everything, everyone said everything again, because I know we hesitate when we say that because we think we earned it, we think it's ours, but in reality, everything belongs to God, and we're managers of those things. So if, if you have a house, uh, God has entrusted you with that house, and you're a manager of it. If you, have, if you have a car, and I hope you have one, I hope you have a nice one, But that car is God's, and you're a steward of that. Whatever it is, if you have finances, you're a steward of those things. And by the way, uh, uh, many times God is, is, is observing us to see if we'll be faithful. Because if we'll be faithful, God will say, okay, that's a good manager. I can trust him with more. That's a good steward. I can give him more because I can trust him uh, with, with what I give him. Number nine, God considers the withholding of tithes to the, be the equivalent of robbery. Everyone said robbery. God is very serious about it. Number 10, and this one's important. Ministers, everyone said ministers, are required to tithe on the tithes they receive. And so uh, that's, I've, I've had many young ministers ask me that, but ministers and pe- preachers and pastors and evangelists and missionaries, all of us, we're not exempt from tithing. And a lot of people wonder about that. They think, well, you don't have to tithe. And I say, no, absolutely not. Ministers absolutely are required to tithe. We tithe of, 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 uh, of the tithe. And so we literally tithe back in to the kingdom of God. 
That's very, very important. And I've never known a ministry to be blessed that was not a giving ministry. I've never known a minister to be blessed who was not a giving minister. And uh, number 11, God has always considered spiritual things to be worthy of full time. Everyone said full time, full time attention. Spiritual things are not a hobby. They're not part time. They're not frivolous. They're not side jobs. Spiritual things are worthy of full time attention. Number 12, Israelites gave an average, an average minimum of 23% a year in tithes and offerings. So their average in the Old Testament was about 23% a year if you combine their tithes. And that, that gets a little confusing, and we talked about it last time, but they actually gave uh, three separate tithes uh, on different occasions, and then they brought in uh, special offerings. But on average, it was about 23%, sometimes more, sometimes a little less, but that's what it averaged out to. Number 13, among other things, the principle of first fruits. Everyone said first fruits. Anybody familiar with first fruits? The principle of giving God the first fruit, uh, or in other words, the, the first of the harvest, the first that we receive, teaches us that we should give God what we owe him before we give the bank what we owe them. And that's kind of a, a, a modern equivalency there. But we should always give God what we owe him before we get others what we owe them. In other words, we don't spend all of our money and then give God the leftovers. Or we could say it this way, we don't, we don't spend all of our money and then say, sorry, God, I'm out this time. That's not the will of God. And, uh, and so we put God first, and that's the principle there. When we put God first, and then the principle of plenty there, uh, God said, listen, uh, if you'll give, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that you have plenty. I'm going to make sure you have abundance. And so, uh, and I can testify to this. When you give God first, when you bless God first, God will always ensure that you have plenty left over to provide for all of your needs. How many could just testify to that this morning, that when you put God first, he will put you first. He's not going to leave you out there. And that takes faith. That's where faith steps into the equation. Giving to God really comes down to a matter of do you trust God? Do you believe God when he says, prove me now herewith, you know, bring your tithes into the storehouse and, and see. God literally gave a challenge there. God said, I dare you to give. I dare you to bring your tithes and offerings into the storehouse and see if I will not pour you out a blessing that you cannot contain. The question is, do we trust God when he says that to us? That really is the question. And we have to have faith to believe, God, do I believe that you will bless me? And uh, I want to testify to you today that God will bless you. Can anybody testify of that today? God will bless you. Number 14. The Israelites budgeted. Everyone said budgeted. There's another boring word that nobody likes. I just said budget in church, and I'm surprised we still have anybody in the building. But the, <laughs> I sound like Clark Howard right now, don't I? But the Israelites budgeted giving to God into their lifestyle. That's very important. Because some people want to live their lifestyle and then see if there's anything left over for God. But if you don't budget God into your lifestyle, you can't expect God to budget you into his kingdom. 
All right, I'm glad I told a joke because we just got real tight. Do I need another joke? I need my joke. I need Julia's joke book right now. Just a, a real quick one. What's red, white, and blue and green all over? I have no idea. I literally don't know. That's what my kids do to me all day long. They're trying to make up jokes as they go. And so they tell me little things and then they try to make something fit and then they can't, can't make it work. And so the Israelites budgeted God into their lifestyle. If you, if you generate your lifestyle in such a way where there's no room for God in your budget, then, then you need to rethink your lifestyle. And by the way, when you budget God into your lifestyle, God will increase your lifestyle. I believe that. God will enlarge your borders. God will enlarge your territories. When you budget God in, God will begin to bless you and your budget will grow. How many want your budget to grow? Now, I'm not, I'm not preaching name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. This is, not, this is not a prosperity doctrine that I'm teaching here. But I'm just telling you what God said. God said, prove me now and see if I will not pour you out a blessing that you cannot contain. So if, in other words, if you prioritize God God will prioritize you. Number 15. God literally challenges us to give sacrificially. Everyone said sacrificially. So that he can prove himself faithful in his ability to bless us beyond what we can contain. So if we don't give God the opportunity to prove himself. In other words, if we're trusting in our own devices. If you never give sacrificially. You'll never give God an opportunity to prove that he's faithful because you're trusting in yourself. You're trusting in your job. You're trusting in your own ability. You're trusting in the stock market. And by the way, if you're trusting in the stock market, I want you to know that God is a better bargain. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. God is a better bargain. Number 16, God blesses people who are committed to faithfully blessing God with their tithes and offerings. All right, let's go to, to Haggai chapter 2 and verse number 8. And uh, I'm running out of time. God said, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. So uh, this may be the last thing I can get to, but I want to address the question of is tithing for the New Testament church? Because there's a uh, there's a lot of people, of course, how many know that it's human nature? We want to shape our theology to agree with what we want things to be. Did you know that's our human nature? So I've known guys who wanted to cheat on their wife, so they had to rewrite the whole Bible so that they would be okay with cheating on their wife. I've known guys who uh, they wanted to abandon their children, so they had to rewrite the whole Bible so that they could justify abandoning their children. And uh, and. We have it happening in almost every area of, of theology, and it's certainly happening in tithing. So there's a lot of people, they don't want to pay tithes, so they rewrite the Bible to justify not paying their tithes. It's been happening. It's been happening since the days of the Pharisees. It's been happening for a long, long time. It's not new. It's been going on for a long, long time. But we do need to answer the question for those who are genuinely asking. And some people do genuinely ask without a motive. Some people have an impure motive and I'm not really addressing them, but for people who genuinely are asking the question, we need to look at this. Is tithing for the New Testament 
as well as the Old Testament, or did it cease with the New Testament? All right, so let's look very quickly. Since tithing was practiced before, everyone said before, the Mosaic Law, and by all nations in the history of the world, it is a part of the natural law. Everyone said natural law, or what we sometimes call in theology a universal law, uh, typically based upon its ancient practice. Now, some of you may need to go and, and read up on this a little bit, but I'm going to just throw it out there anyway. The Mosaic Law, or the Law of Moses, the law that God gave to Moses, including the Ten Commandments, which is usually, which the Ten Commandments were just a very small portion of, of the law, but it's, in many cases, it's the only part of the law that the average person remembers. But the Mosaic Law was very, very large and encompassing. And it was broken down into three parts. Civil law, everyone said civil law. And we still have civil law, don't we? Just try driving 120 miles an hour and see if we don't have civil law. Ceremonial law, everyone said ceremonial law. And moral law, thou shalt not kill, it's a moral law. Thou shalt not commit adultery, that's a moral law. Uh, thou shalt not lie, that's a moral law. And tithing is a part of the moral law. The first two, the civil law and the ceremonial law, those have been abolished by Christ. So what that means is with the ceremony, we don't have to bring lambs to the slaughter to a temple on the Passover. Aren't you thankful for that? Jesus was the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. So Jesus abolished the ceremonial law, but he did not abolish the moral law. In fact, Jesus took the moral law a step further. He said, listen, if you're even lusting in your heart, he didn't just say if you've committed adultery. He said, if a man looketh upon a woman and desires to be immoral. So Jesus took the moral law and he added to it. Everybody okay with that? He really did. He said, listen, you be careful if you even... You've got to be careful with those things. And so the moral law is still very much in effect. And, the, and tithing and offerings are part of the, God's moral law because they predate the Mosaic law. It goes long before the laws that God gave to Moses. And so for those who would argue that tithing is an Old Testament law and therefore abolished, they're wrong on two levels. Number one, and I'm reiterating here, tithing eventually fell under the moral law and the moral law is still very much in effect. Two, tithing was practiced by Abraham, Jacob, and Levi long before Moses was ever born. Tithing is an ancient aspect of God's divine plan revealed very early on in the Bible, and it is as much for our... Now listen to this. Tithing is as much for our benefit as it is for God's. You know, if God wanted to, he could, he could make gold bullion just start appearing everywhere. God created the world. When we give, sometimes we think of it in the aspect that, well, God needs our money. You know, God has everything. When we give, we give out of obedience to God, and it invites his blessings into our lives. And so it's as much for us as it is for God. But God has chosen to give us the opportunity 
to be vessels that he can use. And by the way, it's an honor to be used of God. Uh, You know, I know a lot of people, they like to get up and sing, and they think it's an honor to be used of God. But in everything that we do, if I'm giving, it's an honor that I can be used of God. If I'm raising my hands, it's an honor that I can do that in the presence of God. In the Old Testament, they couldn't even enter into his presence and feel his touch without going through all kinds of things. But I'm glad today for the privilege that we can step into God's presence boldly, lifting up holy hands without wrath or doubting. I'm glad that we can feel the power of the Holy Ghost. I'm glad that we can fall down on our knees in his presence and cry out to Jesus because he is the mediator between God and man. And we can lift up our voice. We don't have to go through a high priest. We don't have to go through the machinations. But we can step into his presence and he responds to us. If you're sick in your body, he can heal you today. If you need deliverance, he can heal you today. Whatever you have need of, he's right here. He's right here, and it's an honor, and it's a privilege to be in his presence, and it's a privilege to give to God. Let's stand, and let's bow our heads. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I I thank you, Lord, for this precious people. And God, I realize that I'm preaching to a giving church. I realize that I'm preaching to the choir today. And I thank you for the faithfulness of Apostolic Tabernacle. They are, they are a beacon of light in a world that has lost sight of what it means to be a giver and to have generosity. I thank you for the precious people of this church who are faithful every single day. It's a privilege to serve them in ministry, God. And I pray that you would bless them over and over and over and over again, I pray, Lord. And Lord, I pray that a spirit of giving would sweep all across this country, not just this church, but in churches all around the world, even even into foreign lands, God. Bless our missionaries today, I pray, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.